2: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Tuesday, August 23rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, more rain is expected for much of the state, bringing with it flood advisories. We talked to the National Weather Service. Then leaders of the capital city respond as residents continue to face water woes. Plus, a recent study illustrates the effects of crude oil. On Deep Water Horizon Cleanup Workers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's going to be another rainy day across the state. All of Mississippi is under a threat advisory for heavy rainfall and potential flooding. We're joined now by Daniel Lamb of the National Weather Service in Jackson. Daniel, tell us, where is all this rain coming from?
3: Certainly, certainly. Yeah, there's a a slow-moving, low-pressure system that's uh, moving from northeast Texas into northern Louisiana, Uh, and there's a lot of tropical moisture out ahead of that system, um, which has been resulting in the rain that we've seen already since yesterday and has continued into this morning. And uh, as that low pressure system continues to move slowly to the east Uh, we're really just going to see this rain continue Um, and especially as we get some of the periods of heavier rain which we're expecting uh, multiple rounds of it's it's not going to be raining the entire time it's not going to be raining heavy the entire time Um, but we're expecting multiple rounds of it and that has we've already seen the ground begin to saturate and as we get more of that heavy rain, that's where we're going to start to see uh, impacts from flash flooding.
2: Yes, that's the concern. Uh, Western Mississippi is under elevated threat. What exactly does that mean?
3: Well, when we're talking about an elevated threat, we're talking about a higher likelihood that flash flooding could occur in an area. Um, you know, when we're, the limited threat area is going to be more localized. But once we get up into the elevated threat, it's where we could see flooding over kind of a larger area or in more areas. And um, that, that elevated threat also correlates with where we have a flood watch that's in effect through through uh, tonight. And it's, it's the area where people, especially if you live in a flood-prone area, you really need to have a plan, an idea for what you're going to do if, um, you know, water begins to... Um, become high in your area and you, you know, you might need to move to higher ground.
2: Fortunately, it's not that pounding rain that comes down fast within a short period of time that the ground cannot absorb. But in what areas mostly do you see us having a serious issue with flooding?
3: Yeah, most of the rain that we've seen, it has been just kind of steady, uh, but it is possible that we could see some of that, that kind of pounding rain that, that stacks up very quickly. And really it's going to be that the, within the state, uh, the primary area of concern is West Mississippi, uh, into Central Mississippi and then kind of the southern parts of the Delta getting up towards the, the Greenville and Cleveland area. They're also within that threat. Um, as these multiple bands of, of rain continue to just push across our area, off and on, uh, over the next 24 to 36 hours.
2: That's a long period of time to have rain. What are we looking at in terms of our roadways?
3: There, there could be some roadway flooding. You know, there, in, in Mississippi, there are roads that kind of flood every time it rains, but we could see even flooding on, on some of the, the roadways where you don't see it as often. And that's kind of why, um, you know, we're really kind of highlighting this situation. It's not just your average heavy downpour. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the roads that are more flood-prone and lower areas, um, you know, along creeks and that sort of thing, we could certainly see flooding in those areas uh, throughout, um, it'll, the potential being throughout today and tonight and possibly into tomorrow as well.
2: And, of course, people know or we're gonna remind them, do not drive through roads that are covered with water, even though in the past it may have been shallow. That may not be the case, right?
3: That's exactly right. um The thing that we always say is kind of easy to remember is turn around, don't drown um you know especially with this being a threat that's going to continue into tonight, it's very hard to be able to judge how deep water is once it's dark but even during the daytime if the water is deep enough that you can't see the road beneath it um, you know a lot of times when we have flash flooding we have ditches that get washed out or or roadways that get washed out and so you, you don't really know what you're going to be driving into when you have water covering the road so we really just urge people to if you encounter some high water across the roadway you know, don't take a chance. Your your life is not worth risking um, just because you're in a hurry to get somewhere. So um, certainly we tell people to turn around, don't drown.
2: Is there anything else that you want to remind people of before we go?
3: Yeah, one other issue we're going to have is with all of this rain falling, this is going to be filtering into our creeks and streams as well. So we could start to see some flooding issues on some of our area rivers. We still don't know exactly which ones will be impacted the most yet, but that will be another thing to kind of keep an eye on as we head through the remainder of this week.
2: All right. Thank you so much. Daniel Lamb, National Weather Service in Jackson, we appreciate you. Thank you.
3: Have a good morning. Stay dry.
2: All right. You too. Coming up, leaders of the capital city respond as residents continue to face water challenges. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedies, relatively speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877 MPB, the number four, car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The city of Jackson remains under a boil water order, and city officials say it could take some time to lift the advisory. Yesterday, Mayor Shockway and Tarla Mumba addressed the issue that's been troubling residents for weeks.
1: Sampling throughout the city continues to uh, be underway. We need two consecutive days of sampling uh, for the boil water notice to be lifted. Uh, It is paused today because of the rain uh, and the test will resume after the rain uh, has concluded. Uh, In addition, uh, as it relates to our water pressure, uh, the good news is that our water pressure uh, has been able to maintain where it should be uh, and that is a daily endeavor. uh, But we are grateful that our water pressure is where it should be at this particular point in time. Uh, There continues to be a number of repairs um, and things that that, uh, need to be replaced uh, over the course of time. Uh, And so even when we come out of this boil water notice, I want to remain clear that we are still in a state of emergency until we can have a significant capital improvement uh, and we can get to decades of deferred maintenance that needs to take place.
2: The aging infrastructure could take billions to repair. Lumumba says they're exploring a variety of solutions and streaming funds to tackle the problem.
1: The reality is, is that it may be more advantageous, if we had the money, right, to build a new plan, right? Uh, but until we have that available to us, we have to work what we have. Uh, and so the U.S. Water Alliance is, is working with us uh, in order to do an evaluation of that. Uh, and September is going to be a critical month where you'll see proposals from the city not only to go after the ARPA funds uh, for the state but also the competitive infrastructure funds and, uh, you know, federal funds that are available for us to go after. Uh, I don't think that $200 million is is an extreme stretch uh, to look at, you know, what our plant needs. Uh, So it's it's extreme, And, and that's before you even get to pipes. We forget that pipes rupture, and that has challenges within our distribution system. We forget that our boosting station, which is, uh, which is on Maddox Road, uh, has not been in operation, and we need to make improvements there. So there are several points of failure, right, uh, for a system that has many working parts, right? It has more working parts than even I'm familiar with, and I have become more familiar with water than I ever thought I would be.
2: And Lamumba says the challenges go beyond water, plants, stations, and pipes.
1: In addition to the capital improvements that need to take place, we have been consistent in stating that we have staffing challenges at our water treatment facility. We have always articulated that. Uh, and so uh, recent reports, exclusives that have said uh, or illuminated this challenge The only thing that was exclusive about that report was the notion that uh, of the interpersonal conflicts that take place in a stressful work environment. We have all experienced that in our various fields of work. And so, yes, there are disputes, there are disagreements that take place as we endeavor to get it right. And so I want to be clear on that. Um, And so uh, we are the ones that manage Employees, we are the ones that manage operations. And so we continue to communicate our extreme need uh, with our employees or our staffing. We continue to communicate the funding that we need to deal with this. Uh, Our staffing challenges are more than just a matter of putting out job applications or job notices. We have been doing that for some time. Just as the EPA, the Rural Water Association, the Mutual Aid Agreement, revealed is that there is a very 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 shallow bench of the technical expertise that is needed for a surface water treatment facility that is why it has been so difficult to bring people in from other places
2: while the city's water woes have been front and center recently the decay goes back decades and Lamumba says that neglect will take time to reverse
1: we have been working along with the epa uh, we've been working along with the Department of Health in order to bring the expertise in uh, that's necessary. Uh, these aren't, you know, they're, they're few in number. Uh, that's the reality. And so uh, we've even tried to change uh, the, the uh, pay scale to make it more attractive. But we're not dealing with, you know, um, a large number of, of technical expertise in the area that we're fighting for often we're faced with creating that expertise uh, ourselves. This is the challenge, in a nutshell, of our water treatment facility. Our water treatment facility has suffered from years and years of lack of investment. That's lack of investment on its capital improvement. That's lack of investment that has led to deferred maintenance. That's lack of investment in terms of the human capital that has walked out the room or walked out of the plant with the institutional knowledge in order to keep us going. There should have been a plan over the course of time for how you build those individuals or build the replacements for those individuals that were sure to retire someday. Uh, Be that as it may, you know, we are going to be the administration that is going to get it right. We're going to make these repairs. Now, that's not going to happen overnight. I'm not promising a miracle, but what I am promising is that we're going to be able to deal with the operations. I'm promising that we're going to be able to deal with several of the capital improvements. But this is going to happen over the sequence of time, uh, and, and we'll be working at it each and every day.
2: Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antar Lamumba. Coming up, a recent study illustrates the effects of crude oil on Deepwater Horizon cleanup workers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. It's been 12 years since the Deepwater Horizon oil platform exploded in the Gulf of Mexico, resulting in the largest oil spill in history. Some of the effects on the Gulf ecosystems were immediate, as were the economic effects for those whose livelihoods depend on the plentiful fishing in the Gulf. But researchers are discovering workers involved in the response and cleanup may be facing other prolonged effects. A recent report from the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences reveals workers involved in the 2010 cleanup are at a higher risk for asthma symptoms. Researcher Dr. Caitlin Lawrence shares more with our Rhonda Dunaway.
0: At the time of the disaster, um, little was known about short and long-term health effects related to oil spill exposures, and at the time, um, the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences decided that it would be important to follow a cohort of oil spill cleanup workers to study health effects um, due to, or to address concerns of the health and safety of oil spill cleanup workers.
4: And um tell me a little a bit about these study groups that y'all looked at. because um, I was wondering for those people that were like really on the front lines, were they trained or or were they wearing a particular type of protective gear possibly? Or what type of um, you know, preparation do you know of that went into that cleanup?
0: So uh, the amount of training really varied based on um, the level of skill needed to do specific jobs. So there were folks who cleaned uh, tarballs on beaches, and there were professional oil spill um, industry workers who were helping on the rig and um, researchers taking water samples. So the amount of training um, really varied across the types of work that people conducted. During the response
4: Who was most affected But I guess mainly Who were your study groups
0: Yeah so our primary study group Were anyone who worked On any aspect of the oil spill cleanup For at least one day And we also included in our study As a comparison group Non-workers who received a safety training But they weren't hired To actually clean up on the spill And this allowed us to compare risk for those who were exposed to the cleanup work versus those who were unexposed.
4: Okay, so um, the Clean Air Act classifies these as harsh chemicals um, that are causing, you know, respiratory problems. Were the workers wearing um, protective gear? Um, was their gear uh, appropriate for their level of exposure? Um, and also, what should workers who who work, did work at that time What should they know right now? You know, what should they do? Those are great questions.
0: So um, there were industrial hygienists working for government agencies at the time of the response who determined who was required to wear protective gear. Um, But in most cases, um, most of the exposures fell below occupational exposure limits, and therefore jobs did not require masks for cleanup work. Some of our participants reported wearing masks voluntarily. Um, however, we could not evaluate the effectiveness of these masks due to lack infor- lacking information on the type and the fit. Um, and to answer your last question about if someone was working on the spill at the time, what should they do now? Um, I think it's important that, they, that workers who are experiencing asthma symptoms um, Tell their doctors that they participated in cleanup work following the spill.
4: Okay. Um, so, how long do you expect this? How long is this study ongoing? Are y'all still um, looking for workers that were exposed? Or tell me a little bit about the uh, time frame of your study. Sure. So, um, we are still
0: actively contacting the cohort with newsletters and periodic short questionnaires. And um, some of the diseases that we plan to study take a long time to develop, so we hope to continue to follow up the cohort to be able to answer those
4: questions. The data that you, uh, when the study is done with, it, what do you uh, expect this data to be used for to what end?
0: So um, we're still working to fully understand associations between the oil spill cleanup exposures and a range of health outcomes and um, we hope to, so our job is to um, do the best we can to um, assess exposures and health risks related to the exposures that workers face. We publish our data, we put it online, and it's available for people to use um, to inform um, policies and future work uh, protecting future
4: oil spill cleanup workers. Okay. Um, and how is the study being funded?
0: Yes. Yeah, so the study is currently being funded through the intramural program at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences.
4: Um, what do you see as the major takeaways so far of this study? So our major takeaway is that we
0: found that oil spill cleanup workers were at a 60 percent higher risk of Um, Sorry, can I repeat this? (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Oil spill spill cleanup workers were 60% more likely to develop asthma within one to three years of a Deepwater Horizon disaster compared to non-workers. And we also looked at specific oil spill chemicals within the crude oil mixture and found that exposures to higher levels of oil spill chemicals were associated with increased asthma risk.
4: And that that's was going that was going be like uh, one of my last questions. Was there a particular focus such as a particular chemical that you found in crude oil that is causing most of the health issues? so in this study, we focused on a
0: subset of chemicals in the crude oil mixture known as volatile chemicals, and um, these chemicals included benzene and chemicals similar to benzene, like toluene,
4: ethylbenzene, and xylene. Is there anything else that you would like to tell me before I let you go? Yes. um, Well,
0: we just like to say that we're very grateful to the many thousands of people who have participated in our study, and we encourage our participants to stay engaged in the study as we continue to report findings and administer administer short questionnaires, and if folks are interested, they can visit our website to learn more at gulfstudy.nih.gov.
4: And are you having a hard time getting in touch with um, people who may have worked on the oil spill? We follow up
0: on folks who initially enrolled in the study, and in 2019, we just completed our second follow-up phase, and um, we have people are responsive. So we just want to continue to encourage folks to stay engaged in the study.
2: Dr. Caitlin Lawrence with the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.